there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Neal the rebound. Kevin Alley brings it up. Throws it across. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Over the rebound for his ninth. 18 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Oh, 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 oh the chicken. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. Welcome to the NBA, my friend. Turner sets the screen. Oh, 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 no. Oh, no. Right Don't let him throw it down like that. Victor on the deep throw. Throws it back to Oladipo. Stevenson behind, drives inside. And the foul. Lance Stevenson. And a chance for a three-point play. He just headbutted the Stanton. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Born Ready to Pod podcast. All right, guys, today a very special guest on the Born Ready to Pod podcast. We have TV host and sideline reporter for your Indiana Pacers on Fox Sports Indiana, Jeremiah Johnson. JJ, thanks for joining us today. Big fan, and glad to be able to join the podcast, and it's perfect time with a week before the uh, season getting started for real. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I, I know we've been looking forward to talking to you, and obviously with the season getting ready to start, it's just perfect timing. So, um, you, you started off with FS Indiana back in 2013, and you transitioned into the sideline reporter slash TV host in 2014. So, when you took over that position, you mentioned your excitement, obviously, growing up as a lifelong Pacer fan and how it was basically a dream job for you. So how surreal is it for you now to be able to cover a team of which you were a fan of first? I mean, it's been kind of surreal from day one, and even the year that I was producing the shows, I kind of had some pinch-me kind of moments because it was my full-time job to just cover the Indiana Pacers. And, and growing up, I uh, obviously was a Pacers fan, and I can remember going to Market Square Arena and watching Reggie Miller and those teams, and even before – before that, I can even remember, uh, you know, Detlef Schrempf and uh, just kind of being a Pacer fan. And, and the 90s Pacers were, you know, so fun to watch and, and just kind of follow that group. And I really felt like last year a little bit, some of that fandom really returned. And I guess we sometimes we short sell a little bit the end of the uh, Paul George, David West, Roy Hibbert era. But, I mean, that, that fan support was really big as well, and I was covering that team quite a bit for Fox 59 as well. So basically I've been able to cover the Pacers really since 2004 when I came from Terre Haute to Fox 59, and it's just been awesome to make this my only job and not have to worry about covering the Colts or the Pacers or IU or, you know, or I should say IU or Butler. Even though I enjoyed doing that, it's really fun to be a part of the organization and to kind of be there for every single game home and away, it, it, is a, it is a dream job, and I enjoy every minute of it. Absolutely. So being a lifelong Pacer fan, who's your favorite Pacer player of all time? You know, Detlef was probably my first biggest fan, and then uh, transitioned to, I would say, a combo of the Davis brothers. Oh, yes. I, I almost feel like you can't say one without the other, and they had so many you know, good moments in playing in the post. And everyone was a Reggie fan, but I was kind of 
migrated a little bit to Dale and Antonio, I would say, um, for many years. And so um, even seeing Dale at a few games recently, it's been fun to just kind of think, you know, that's the guy I grew up, you know, kind of cheering for. And it's even crazier to see, you know, his son having all the success that he's having in high school and all the college offers as well. So I'd say Detlef was probably up there for being the early fan and then um, the Davis brothers. Yeah, Dale Dale is by far my favorite pacer of all time. I just remember watching him when I was young because I wasn't very good at scoring, but I could, you know, I could rebound and, and defend, and I'm like, well, Dale Davis does it. I mean, what the heck? I, I'm, you know, destined for the NBA. So that, that was my goal, just to be like Dale Davis. So Yeah, and now, you know, it's not quite the Davis brothers, but when, when you're grooming Miles Turner and Domas Sabonis, you could envision a future with, even though the NBA is changing quite a bit and going small, um, you know, a front court tandem for, for the youngsters of the current generation to cheer for. And I know when I was watching the last preseason game with my son, who's in fourth grade, I said, you know, at times I was said, watch Doma, just do what he does in terms of screening, passing, you know, getting rebounds. And it's fun to, to see the new heroes for the younger fans. Absolutely. I always tell everybody I was, I was one step, you know, one step away from the NBA. The only thing I was missing was talent. Had I had the talent, I would have been there. So, um, being a part of all these broadcasts, you were obviously at the games in a very professional setting. So, um, as we mentioned, you grew up a Pacer fan. So, ha- there have been ha- have there been any things that you've experienced during your current role that just made you super excited um, and kind of made that Pacer fan in you come out? Um, you know, it's tough because I've been a reporter maybe you know longer than even I've had this job, and so. Uh, I've been able to put that fan hat away just a little bit. Now, the difference being, you know, this and when I was at Fox 59 is, you know, I'm working for Fox Sports Indiana, and we, you know, we are a neutral broadcast even though we are with the team on the road and, uh, you know, at the hotels and that kind of thing. And, and I work for the organization as well. But I've been able to kind of put the fandom aside a little bit. And, you know, going back to when I was a kid and I was a big IU fan, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't really have any of those feelings anymore. And, and even, you know, the Colts, I covered them for so long that I kind of removed that a little bit. So I, I'm far enough removed from being this, you know, crazy fan that I don't get into that as much of, you know, too much like, yeah, yeah, cheering, because I know that's not my job. And my job is to be, you know, tell the fans what it is that I see and, and you know, interact with Chris and Quinn and to be able to conduct the interviews in a professional manner. So, I don't think that I have that issue with the fandom, but I, what I what I had last season, and just because it's kind of fresh in the memory bank, was all of those comebacks, the 15-point deficits, the 20-point deficits, I believe three of those by at least 20 points, and the way this team was able to finish, it just gets you excited to broadcast. And so the fans were excited because of the big wins and the comebacks, but it also fuels the post-game show. I mean, those post-game shows were just a great deal of fun, and I, I can even just go back to you know, game three or game six at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, being able to to broadcast those games, those playoff games on Fox Sports Indiana, and then to do those post-game shows. I mean, that was just, you know, it's kind of what you work for. It's kind of when I worked in Hazard, Kentucky, and Terre Haute, you do it to be able to broadcast and experience events like that. And so I wasn't overly, you know, waving the pom-poms because my team won. I was just you know, caught up in the moment of what an atmosphere it was and, and how hard they played. And, and then a little bit of the fandom eventually did come back at some point. 
Yeah, absolutely. More power to you, because I know that I definitely couldn't contain myself if I was in your role. I'd be yelling and screaming, maybe <laughs> a few, yelling a few choice words at the other team during uh, during the game. So, well, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, as great as games three and six felt, uh, game five, I I remember always for a post game show, especially on the road, you know, Chris and Quinn will wrap a show up, and there there was usually a two minute to three minute commercial break. And then I'm pretty much on the air, and I use that two minutes once I get you know plugged in and IFB ready to just kind of gather my thoughts because the the show usually starts with about a minute and a half of me, you know, in a way, you know, restarting the show, but kind of my chance to kind of put my thoughts of what we just witnessed over the previous two and a half hours because it's primarily Chris and Quinn doing the heavy lifting during the broadcast, and I just remember thinking for about two minutes, I have no idea what I'm going to say, and that of course was after. You know, the Victor Oladipo goaltending that mm-hmm. even in the arena didn't even look like goaltending. Then you figured out maybe it should have been. And then LeBron James makes that three-pointer. It was just, you know, you felt like the opportunity was there to win that series. And you knew an opportunity was lost. And, and what could I say to not necessarily comfort but put the game in perspective? And I, I think we had a decent show. But I remember thinking, how am I going to start this show? What am I going to say? And, uh, you know, a million things come to mind, but when the red light goes on, you just kind of have to go with the flow a little bit. Yeah, we don't talk about that game around here. I don't think we've spoken about <laughs> Sorry, it Sorry, maybe you'll be editing that. And I w- yeah, I will say that we definitely didn't watch you on the post-game show because I remember storming out of – we were all together uh, at Hawk's house here, and I remember just storming out, and, like, I didn't say a word, I think, the rest of the night. So uh, it, we haven't talked about <laughs> it, it since, I don't think. I think that was the first mention of it since then, so thanks a lot for that. Yeah, it was a quiet bus ride back uh, from yeah. uh, Quicken Loans Arena to the airport that night. Yeah. Um, so over the summer, uh, we had a guy that you know very well on the podcast, Chris Denary. You just mentioned him a couple of times. And he explained to us uh, all the preparation that goes into just a single game that you guys broadcast, um, including all of those detailed charts that he puts together before every game. Um, so what are some of the things that you do specifically in your role uh, prior to each game for preparation? So what I try to say is that each game is sort of two days' worth of work, and if there's a back-to-back, you just have to you know, cram as much work as you can into the limited amount of time that you have. And, and with that two days, the practice days are really important. And I actually had the opportunity to uh, work five St. Louis Cardinals games over the summer, and they don't have practice days. They have batting practice before games, and then they have games, and you have to get your interviews between there. But you know, for us, it's really – beneficial and important to go to practices on the off days and then we get all of our interviews at that point and so basically if it's an average day where let's say it's a Thursday and the Pacers play on Friday about noon on Thursday or even prior to that I'll have a conversation with uh, pregame producer Ken Stoffman who also shoots some of the interviews and we'll talk about sort of the key topics and storylines that we want to address on the next night's pregame show and sometimes it'll be things that I gathered from watching practice and basically that'll be the line of questioning that I'll know I'll need to get, you know, different sound bites or answers for after practice. So then once practice concludes, at some point in the night, I just start putting my thoughts together kind of in rough draft outline form. And, and he usually sends me a rundown that it is an outline form. And so once I have that outline, I can pretty much go from there and script the whole show. And I have pretty much from the night before, usually after my kids go to bed, if it's a home game and, and I'm home, um, I, I'll work two or three hours at night maybe at that point. And then once I get up on a game day, it's pretty much from the time you get up on a game day until, you know, the time you go to bed, it's pretty much it's a, it's a full day. Yeah. And usually it involves going to shoot around, 
uh, at 10 in the morning if they do have shoot-around, and then finding time in amongst there to, you know, script the show. Now, we don't have teleprompter for the show, but because there's a format and we have to stay kind of rigid, it's the, it's the one part of the show that's more like a newscast, which is my background is, you know, 30-minute sports shows on Sunday nights or those kind of things where we had kind of a set rundown in a format. So I script the show out, but it's never read word for word, but it just allows me to go through it one time. It allows me to sort of have, you know, different stats or things that I want to ask Eddie or Quinn or Chris or even Nate McMillan during the coach's interview. And I've got all those scripts kind of with me, but I just kind of have them as a reference. I want to go through them uh, during the pregame show. So most of the work uh, before a game is for the pregame show. There still is a, a good amount of work for me during the game broadcast, but not the same preparation that Chris has because he has to, you know, know and, and kind of call every player on both teams. And most of my preparation will be, you know, 80% is Pacers related, and I'll have a few nuggets or things that are important about the opponent. But the way we handle our broadcast, we're not doing a ton of in-game hits or reports on the other team. So yeah. I usually have a sheet of about five bullet points, and I'll hand that to producer Max Linewand at our pregame dinner meeting. And it's, you know, five things, usually things that I can get out of a conversation that I had off camera with maybe a player in the locker room or after practice, or maybe it's a stat that we were able to do a little more analytics uh, research on, and I, and I can provide that uh, during the broadcast. But of those five things, usually the only one that's really planned and set is the first quarter segment. Uh, out of the timeout after the first or second timeout of the first quarter. We talk about that. We plan that out. That's the only one that's really kind of an on-camera inter- um, segment. The rest of the game is sort of dependent upon what happens in the game. And so all the all the research that I do, it comes in ha- it comes in handy, but you can't script what's going to happen. And one of the other good mm-hmm. things is that Nate McMillan allows me to listen to the huddles. So I can usually offer some good insight just from listening to the huddles and and sifting out some of the top secret stuff and maybe sharing some of the things that I think would be of a benefit for the viewer to, to listen to. So, you know, there's three parts. It's the pregame show, it's the end game, and then it's the postgame. Less people watch the pregame, unfortunately, but that requires the most preparation. In game, you just kind of have to go with the flow a little bit, some preparation. And then the postgame show, you can't prepare at all. You just have to, as the show's going along, I'll be texting back and forth with Ken and Eddie Gill, and we'll be talking basically about topics and things we want to address. But ultimately, once that show starts, it's kind of just Ken telling me in between segments and sound bites, you're going to ask Eddie about rebounding, and I'll figure out a way to do it. But he kind of has to steer the ship on that one primarily, and, and you can't prepare for it. So, you know, it's fun to have the three different aspects, and they all are a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. But being around the team, going to the practices, going to the shoot-arounds, and then just consuming as much information as I can, it allows me to be able to do all of the parts because it just becomes second nature, and I know you know, I know the players and I know their stories if something happens. Absolutely. Um, kind of steering a little bit away from basketball for just a second. So uh, the story behind us getting Chris Denary on the podcast was I actually have played words with friends with him for <laughs> probably six years now. So I just randomly added him one day and we've played since he even plays against my mom. So it's kind of like a, a big family deal. My mom gets excited when she plays against him. But anyway, um, do you think, I don't know if you've ever played against him or if you even play the game, but if you played a one-on-one match against Chris Denary and words with friends, who would win? <laughs> no question. I would not win. I've never even played the game, but I do see him. Uh, usually it's, it's, it's fun after a game is over. You know, we all go to the bus at sort of different times, and whether it's Chris or Quinn and I or 
um, you know, Cannon Max and Jamie Burns and Marik Bajos, they're sort of the traveling crew. You know, you all come on, you have a few moments to kind of reflect. We're our, we're kind of our own team. So it's kind of like our little locker room after the game where when a game ends, we immediately just kind of, what went wrong, what went well, what did we like, you know, what did we think, you know, was, was cool about the game. And then you kind of just unwind a little bit. And it doesn't take long for Chris to first check his Twitter, make sure nobody's, uh, you know, saying anything that he doesn't like, and then he switches over to words with friends. So that's how he passes a lot of the time on the planes and the buses. But I've never really gotten the, uh, I've never got the bug. So, you know, unfortunately, if I did play with him, I would get stomped. And if I played with your mom, I would also lose as well. If you want to be the greatest words with friends player of all time, it's a grind. And so I expect nothing less from him than just going straight to that app and just practicing for hours on end. I mean, that is, that's what it takes to be a champion. And he, he's, on, he's on his way to being the best of all time. Yeah, I'll be sure to give him props about that when I see him. I knew he, did, I knew he you know, was active, but I didn't know how good he was. So now that you guys have vouched for him, I guess I'll, I'll prop him up. Maybe I can even fit this into a, uh, a segment on a pregame show. Yes, that, he's that, would doing. Be, that would be awesome. Uh, the Pacers have had uh, four long road trips this season. What is that experience like for you to travel alongside the team, being away from your family while covering the games? I would say for the most part it's good, I think, especially early in the season. It's just like it's good for the team. It's good for, you know, broadcaster bonding. And it's good for, you know, when we're in Indianapolis, it depends on obviously what else is going on. But practices, sometimes there are a lot of media there. And sometimes we can go on the road. And we'll be in Sacramento, and we might be the only media there. So that does allow us a little bit of an opportunity, even though we are already close with the coaches and the players because, you know, we've all kind of been around for a while. And like I said, we're on the bus, we're on the plane, and at the same hotel as them. I think on the road it allows us to get even closer. Sometimes we can have better off-camera conversations, and and I can find things out a little bit easier sometimes than at home. And and I think the players are often – you know, when they're away from their families or their distractions, uh, they sometimes are a little more open to trying things. So uh, the road trips are good. Um, there are some difficulties, obviously, at home with, you know, balancing schedules and, and making sure things get taken care of here. But my family is very supportive. And once the schedule comes out in August, it helps that we know exactly when the, the, the planes are going to leave and when the planes are going to get back. And the schedule doesn't really change unless there's a roof leak in New Orleans, then you have to adjust a little bit. But for the most part, you're not, you know, we're not relying on breaking news to set our life, which sometimes I had to do when I worked at Fox 59. So um, while I say now I'm gone more than in my previous job, I'm also home more, if that makes any sense. Because when, when there's not a practice or there's not a game, I can do a lot of my work at home and I can be home. And when I'm gone on the road, you know, I am gone. But, you know, usually, especially with the beauties of charter travel, if we're somewhere and coming home, we'll be home after a game and I'll still be uh, there when the kids wake up the next day for school. So it's a little bit of a balance, but it's nothing that we aren't used to. And it certainly is a joy to get to experience the different cultures, the different uh, NBA fan bases and arenas. And you just kind of, once you get to like December or January and you've been on the road for a little bit, it just, each season has its own identity and it really, you really feel it when you're on those road trips. Yeah, other than being a part of the actual broadcast and all the preparation, what are some of the things you guys do on the road to keep busy in your spare time? You guys know every steakhouse across America. <laughs> what, what else do you guys do? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely places that I, you know, I go to a certain city, things that I like there now having traveled for five years. But 
I would say steakhouses may not be my thing, partially because I sometimes try to save some of that per diem and not use it all up on uh, on food. Yeah. But uh, breakfasts are kind of my more more the thing that I go for, and so I'll have certain breakfast spots or places with really good eggs benedicts that uh, I, I try to go to. And sometimes on a game day, even if I get a good breakfast and and I'm busy and there's a shoot around. Sometimes there's no lunch or dinner, and I don't even – if I'm busy working, I don't even think about, you know, the need to eat. And then it does cost me then afterwards because it's midnight and I'm hungry. But um, I really try to go for the good breakfast items. And, uh, you know, other than that, you know, it's fun to plan around. Sometimes um, if we're on a, in a city on an off night, I, I try to look at the college basketball schedules and randomly see if there's any chance to, you know, just go to a game as a fan. A couple of years ago, ironically, we saw – uh, UCLA play against Arizona State. I thought it was neat to go to Pauley Pavilion, and the TV crew was able to get some tickets. And, you know, we saw some future Pacers. We saw Aaron Holiday and TJ Leaf playing in that game, um, and we've talked to them, or I've talked to TJ about doing that while we were on the road. So little things like that, trying to find things that interest us, um, seeing some of the city. But, you know, for the most part, you try not to be too crazy because an off day is a chance to kind of rest and, and recuperate. And sometimes it's nice to have those when, you're busy in the rat race of life when you're at home, and if you have an off day on the road, it's sometimes fun to just hang out in the hotel. Yeah, what's your favorite breakfast place to go to, all the NBA cities? I would say that my favorite is the uh, Red Slipper, or the R- Ruby Red Slipper, I believe. It's Red Slipper, I think. It's in New Orleans, and it's uh, there's a few of them, um, yeah. but we've got one like a block from the hotel, and they've got three or four different Eggs Benedict options, and I've usually taken pictures of them when I've been there, and then, uh, usually not as healthy, so sometimes maybe I look a little fuller in the face the night after uh, uh, having the, the eggs benedict in the morning. But the red slipper in New Orleans is probably my top choice. All right, the Pacers wrapped up their preseason after playing four games. You covered two of the four games on FS Indiana. Granted, it's preseason basketball, but what were some of your biggest takeaways after observing the Pacers in the preseason? Well, the worst part for me personally is I actually wasn't there because they didn't have a pre- or post-game show for those broadcasts and, and they've kind of run a more of a scaled down show for those preseason games. So I watched them at home like everyone else, but I was just impressed with the way that, you know, kind of Victor Oladipo and he led the way and everyone else followed they, the, the intensity they played with, you know, it's a preseason game and, you know, we're recording this during the, the Bulls game, the end of the eight day four game road trip. I expected them to be maybe a little lethargic in that one, but the first three games, especially, the intensity they showed, how they were willing to, you know, get steals, get up and down the court pretty quickly. They were working on their rebounding. You know, the first game they out-rebound the Rockets 48-41. They out-rebound the um, Grizzlies 61-43, and they out-rebounded the Cavs 46-40. Well, rebounding was a big topic in training camp, and it looks like the guys are listening to the message. So I just say the intensity they played with, the rebounding, and then, you know, seeing that Victor Oladipo is just picking up where he left off, I see no reason to think that there won't even be a bigger and better Oladipo season. And if that happens, the sky's the limit for this team. Yeah, I'm trying right now to get a hold of Vegas. I want to put a future on Edmund Sumner being the MVP of the NBA this season. So um, talk me off this cliff. I mean, if this guy keeps playing like this, he's going to eventually find minutes, right? Yeah, I you know, I always uh, I try to – and I understand the excitement um, – Let's have a little bit of patience because Edmund still is on a two-way contract. And, I, you know, based on the preseason games, you'd expect that he could and should be playing. But based on 
if everyone is healthy in the nine or ten man rotation that Nate has available, you know, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't think he's going to be in the rotation to start with, and he probably will play some in Fort Wayne because he does need some full game experience, which he really didn't get, you know, as much of last year. He played in Fort Wayne, but he wasn't 100 percent at any point last year. I don't think so. Um, I think he's shown that he can be available, and if he's needed, he can be called upon. But Pacers, I don't think, went into this season thinking they needed to have Edmund Sumner have a good season for them to have success. Now I think with what he's shown, he could be you know someone you could use. But you know, let's say it gets to November and you haven't seen anything of him. I uh, don't freak out. Don't worry. Know that he's still a part of the Pacers' plans, and. Uh, Eventually it'll happen. I don't know that MVP is going to happen this year as well, but uh, <laughs> I do think it's been fun to see the explosiveness he has. And what I was telling someone earlier today, he I thought he was just a point guard. Maybe they would try to eventually be a backup point guard. He could be you know, a combo at two. I mean, he could be on the court with another point guard. I, I just think he has a lot more versatility than maybe I originally thought. Absolutely. Um, so previewing those first few games for the Pacers to start off the season, uh, they have the home opener there uh, against the Grizzlies uh, Wednesday night, and then they travel to Milwaukee on Friday and then wrap things up uh, against the Nets at home on Saturday for a back-to-back. So what individual matchups are you kind of looking forward to watching uh, in those first three games for the Pacers to start the season? Well, I think the Grizzlies are always fascinating because of Mike Conley and his local ties and and I think last year when the Pacers were in Memphis, it may have been the first or second game after he was injured and they decided to shelve him, and then he eventually you know, never came back that season. So I'm interested to see the point guard battle, especially if it's Darren Collison and Mike Conley matched up, two guys that have kind of been around a while and they've had to have played plenty of games against each other, but how's that matchup going to go and, and how does Conley look specifically? And then Jaron Jackson Jr. being another local product as well as someone who, you know, if he's guarding bad, most likely, you know, that that's an interesting matchup at the four. Uh, obviously, when you're looking at the Bucks, uh, I'm a little worried that they're going to be much better just because I respect Mike Budenholzer as a head coach, and I'm, I'm interested to see what he does differently with that team. Um, Giannis is an easy answer, but Chris Middleton is someone who, if he steps up to be an elite player as well, you build around those two guys, and you can put a lot of different parts with them. So um, it'll be interesting to see Giannis, and I guess maybe the thing I'm as much looking forward to is seeing that new arena. Milwaukee was kind of one of the places I didn't really enjoy visiting in the NBA previously because the BMO Harris-Bradley Center was nothing to uh, write home about, and now they have a new arena. It'll be the opening night, the home opener for the Bucks. so I expect quite an atmosphere and and this is another fact that just kind of came about the last couple days the brewers could be hosting game six of the nlcs that same night so uh milwaukee downtown may be buzzing uh next friday night and i will be there actually i i had another reason why i'm going to milwaukee but so it worked out that the pacers were playing there on Friday night, so I saw got that. Got your tickets and I was like, already? Because I expect it'll be a tough one. Yeah, I got I got some I got some pretty good seats, but they were way too expensive. Like yeah. the higher up upper level, I think the minimum was like eighty dollars. So yeah. I, I mean, for like uh, nosebleeds, that's just awful. So I mean, I got some pretty good seats, but right. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I wondered why they were so high, and I forgot I completely forgot that they got a new uh, new arena. Yeah, I mean, I would say that same game in January you'd probably get for about half the price. But you never know. Let's say the Brewers are playing that night. Maybe uh, the basketball game becomes less of a big deal and the Pacers can go in there and steal one. 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. I thought I thought maybe the Bucks fans were just wanting to see Edmund Sumner, honestly. I thought that's why the, <laughs> the tickets just absolutely spiked. Uh, it could be. Uh, I don't know. If you just got your tickets recently, maybe that's the search. Hey, if, you're, if you are stumbling for a pregame interview before that game, you can always hit me up at the arena. I'm, all, I'm hoping for an interview. Okay. I'll put it on my list. Usually week one, we're still kind of full of content. We're maybe a little more desperate in February. But uh, should we need something, I'll, I'll give you a call. I love that the uh, Born Ready to Pod podcast is your desperate interview. I, I like that, actually. We went from nothing to something that fast. So um, I, I realize it's just the beginning of the season, um, but a lot of times when you look back at the final playoff standings at the end of the year, um, these are really the games that you look at and say, man, if we could have got this one or, you know, it's a big matchup for the Bucks. you know, if we could have stole that game, that would have been huge. So um, I realize there's a ton of games, but how important of a game do you think this is for the Pacers going into Milwaukee? Like you said, um, Milwaukee will probably be buzzing. Um, the Bucks are were picked by the GMs to win the, you know, Central, you know, but you know, how big of a game is it? Um, I think it's good to have this sort of, you know, big atmosphere. You know, in the past, you know, I kind of dogged a little bit on the arena, but you could go into Milwaukee, and sometimes it took you a quarter or two to wake up just because it was kind of a, a dull atmosphere, not always a good crowd. And it's almost easier, I think, on the road to play in an environment like what we probably will see that night. So I think that's a benefit to the Pacers. It, you don't want to have – you know, I think it's you don't want to have too tough a schedule early on, but this team is is ready for it. If any team is okay to play a tough schedule to start with, it's this group because they're top seven in terms of minutes played. You know, they're back, so they should hit the ground running. I'm not going to say like they lose the game and it's a big issue. I mean, I honestly, I'd look at the first week, and if you go two and one, you know, I think you're probably in good shape. Uh, so, I. Uh, should the Pacers win that game? I don't, Milwaukee, that's going to be a tough one. I'm not going to say that it, it's one they have to win. But if they do get one, then I do think maybe you feel like you still won a little bit. But it, it'll be tough. I mean, that place will be fired up and, you know, home opener and new arena. You know, it's not it's not the most ideal scenario. Right. Um, well, this summer you went and did uh, some in-depth coverage on Miles Turner during his off-season workouts that have been very well documented. So, um, I'm sure you don't want to reveal too much about it specifically before it airs, but uh, what was that experience like being a firsthand witness uh, to the work he was putting in during the offseason? You know, first I just, I enjoyed that Miles, you know, welcomed us down there and was kind of just open to let us follow along and watch what he was doing. And so, you know, coming out of it, we had about two days worth of coverage, and it was one of those things where I felt like, you know, we've got four or five features out of this, and we got to make sure that we remember there are other players on the team, that, not just Miles. But we'll we'll show our first feature during the season preview show, which actually airs for the first time Saturday night at 7.30 and then a few other times before uh, the, the season opener. And, it, you know, we broke it into parts. There's obviously the, the bo- building his body, and everybody saw the, the yoga. We did some things with the weight room and with the swimming and then obviously with his basketball. Um, but just in general, I thought it was interesting. He lived on basically a ranch where it was basically his house, his his coaches, some guys to work out with him, his parents or his dad was there a decent amount of time. And on that property was their gym and their workout facility. And, and it was a secure location. It was pretty much from the moment he a chef lived with him, from the moment he woke up every day in the summer, he had a schedule, and it was all sort of set to improve himself. It wasn't like he just kind of had a summer vacation and then he went and played some pickup. I mean, this was a plan from 
you know, the, at some point during the season, he made the plan of what he was going to do in the off season, and we'll try to show some of the viewers just a little bit of that. And also, I thought, you know, I think it's important for the guys that are younger maybe to stick around Indianapolis in the off season, but the older guys, I do think there's a benefit for them getting away. And so, for him to be back, you know, in Texas near his family, uh, his family is so important to him, and then to be able to see. Um, how he interacted with some of the youngsters at his basketball camp, which is something we'll probably, you know, sit on for a little bit in air maybe in the middle of the season. Um, there were just a number of different personal stories, but in general, the focus that he made, how important it is for him to have a big season. He knows how, much, how important he is to the team, and he takes it seriously. Is there uh, any coverage of you doing yoga? <laughs> no, much like words with friends, I haven't gotten into the yoga craze either, and uh, I'm Unfortunately, the day we were there, he wasn't actually doing yoga, so we'll have to, you know, some of the other uh, outlets have done some yoga features, and he talked about the yoga, but no yoga for me. I, I wouldn't be very good at that, but I do think it's interesting that he and uh, Domas both um, endorsing it quite a bit uh, as being very important for them, and maybe that maybe that's where I messed up. You know, I didn't make it out of through high school with my basketball career, but maybe if I would have just done yoga in high school, I could have been something. Um, the softball questions are now over, JJ. It's time to put you on the spot. Uh, are you ready okay. for this? I'm ready. All right. First off, we, we did some research before. We, we got on Wikipedia, and you have a page, but you don't really? have anything written under the page. It's not Robert Redford? No. Not man? No. So we're trying to get you a Wikipedia page, get your name out there more. The first line I have is, uh, Jeremiah Johnson is a good guy. What are some other fun facts <laughs> I can throw in there? Just a fun fact that you would want on your Wikipedia page. I wonder how many other Wikipedia pages start that way. There's like five Jeremiah Johnsons, and they all have write-ups, and you, you know, so we got to change that. Are, are any of those guys good guys? Yeah, one was a film producer, and the other guy played in the NFL, so you're among good Jeremiah Johnson <laughs> company. I think well, my – oh, I'm sorry. I think my second line has to be um, walk-on, try to be a walk-on quarterback at Ball State. Is that correct? Yeah, are you? If you're just wanting bio uh, items, I mean, I don't, I don't put that I was a good guy on my resume, but I do think that versatility has been something that's kind of been, you know, good for me and uh, not just my television career, but even before that. And so at Ball State, I kind of had a unique, um, a unique variety of uh, extracurricular activities, and I was a walk-on quarterback, but I also was Charlie Cardinal, the school mascot. So probably about the only person in Division One history to, in the same season, go on a travel list uh, on the travel squad as a third-string quarterback for one away game and then a couple of other away games, go with the cheerleaders and, and serve as the mascot on the sideline. So that's probably my most unique aspect, that if you're going to put a Wikipedia page up, probably has to be uh, listed somewhere. But uh, I've always tried to kind of just dabble and, and experience a lot of things. You know, in high school, I didn't, I didn't just play one sport. I tried to play you know, football, baseball, and basketball, and I still spent a lot of time at the high school uh, television station as well. And that's kind of where I got my interest in, you know, in broadcasting. And I guess the other thing that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a Hoosier. I've lived in, and worked and been in all different parts of the state. Having grown up in Peru, I interned in Fort Wayne at a television station. I went to college at Ball State in Muncie, and then I worked for three years in Terre Haute. And, and really, I've lived in Indiana all but 15 months of my life, and that was my first TV job in Hazard, Kentucky, and then it wasn't long before I got back to Indiana. So I'm kind of just an Indiana guy, and, and one of the things that I'm proud that I'm still able to do on the side in addition to the Pacers job is that I work for the IHSA on 
their championship broadcasts and actually even on some of their tournament preview shows as well. And, and I'm kind of passionate about that. I've always, you know, I always grew up watching the, the pairing shows and watching the state finals. And so it's, it's fun for me to still be able to, you know, work for that organization and to work on, on those broadcasts. Yeah, you're speaking to a, a former, or a, I guess a Ball State alumni myself, and uh, I just wondered, did you ever have any uh, fun nights at the Chug? Did you ever just touch Frog Baby for good luck, anything like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all, all of the above. If you go to Ball State, you can't you, you, you can't go there without, you know, the Frog Baby, and then uh, the, the Chug's taking on a, a number of different identities, so <laughs> depending on the year that you were there, um, it, it was either the good Chug or maybe a not-so-good Chug, but I... Definitely spent some time at the Chug. Yeah, definitely. The best part about the Chug is there's absolutely no doors on the bathroom stalls. It's always one of my favorite ones. <laughs> yeah, I, it's been a while since I've been in the bathroom at the Chug, so I can't say that I remember everything about that, but I do think it's interesting. Uh, the village has taken on some different looks over the years, and you know, back when I was there, they actually had a B-dubs, uh, and they called it uh, Buffalo Wild Wings back then, or, or actually they called it uh, Buffalo Wild Wings and Weck. It was BW3. You know, but now they dropped the the WEC part, um, and there's a beat ups in the uh, in the village, but no longer. All right, how deep of a run do you think the Pacers will make in the playoffs this year? Kind of putting me on the spot. It's a tough question. Obviously, uh, I said I'm neutral, but I am. You know, I'm a little a little partial. <laughs> I would say just from what I've seen, if if this team stays healthy, I see no reason why they can't be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, I know that. Uh, many have the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Sixers maybe slotted ahead of them. But I just think that, A, I think the Pacers are matching up pretty good with Philadelphia. At least they did last year, and I don't see any reason for them to be intimidated by them. And, and whether it's Boston or uh, or Toronto, I don't think you know it's a given that both of those teams are that much better than the Pacers. So, um, you know, if I'm going to make a prediction, I'm going to say they're, they're playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then you'll see what happens. Love it. Love it. Love the tenacity on that that little uh, that little guess there. I love it. I, I would have said probably champions at the end of this, but I mean I, Eastern Conference Finals. That's fine. With Edmund Sumner Finals MVP. Well, that and you know what that leads me to my next question. Other than Edmund Sumner, who will be the guy you will be interviewing uh, the most at the end of the games this year if you had to make a prediction? Edmund Sumner cannot be the answer. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, you know. I... I think that there will be more Miles Turner post-game interviews than we had last year. Um, you know, I went into last year thinking, you know, and a lot of our preseason or pre, you know, pre-game coverage was centered around Miles kind of being the face of the franchise. And you know, he had a couple of injuries, and it just didn't quite go, you know, the way he wanted. And, and Victor was obviously the star, and we had more Victor Oladipo interviews than, than others. But you know, if you're going to ask me, I could see Miles getting a pretty fair share of them as well, and so. Um, I just think for the Pacers to have the success they need to have, he needs to have a big season and be a big part of it. If it's up to me, I always, uh, you know, I love, I really, one of the things I like about this team is there are no, there's nobody on the team that is negative about doing interviews. You know, in the past, and, you know, this team's been pretty good, but every team has guys that sometimes don't like to do the interviews, and, and maybe there are guys that aren't, don't enjoy it just from a, like, you know, camera shyness or, um, that kind of thing, but but nobody's you know mean or like blows me off. So I'm happy to talk to any of them, and I, I enjoy Thad Young interviews probably as much as, as anyone. So um, I'm going to say that probably Miles will maybe you know try to battle Victor for those post game walk off interviews, 
but Thad Young will be someone that I'll be sure to recognize as much as I can. That's awesome. Uh, what percentage of Dan Burke interviews this season will consist of him throwing a great insult at the team after halftime? <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Uh, so in, last year was the third year that I tried to put together the best of Dan Burke, and we actually saved it for the playoffs and then due to some other kind of programming and decisions, we we, at, we didn't air it, so I just put it out on Twitter. But last year's best of Dan Burke wasn't quite as good as the first two years because more often than not, he was kind of happy. <laughs> so he didn't have as much to be upset about. He's still going to nitpick a little bit and find you know, the cloud or the thing that he needs to criticize, and that's just a little bit of who he is. But uh, last year's interviews were a little more tame than the first year or two that I uh, was able to interview Dan. So, you know, I, I think that Dan is awesome. I mean, I, I love talking to him on camera, off camera. I love watching him at practice. I love, you know, him being a part of this team. It's just crazy with all the different head coaches the Pacers have had over his time. He's always stuck around, I and mean, that never really happened. So um, I don't know, to, a- to answer your question, maybe 20%, 25%, because I'm going to I'm gonna go on a limb and say that, you know, he's going to have some happy interviews and only maybe one out of every four is he really going to be angry. All right, you're entering your fifth season while Chris Denary is going on season number 13 and Quinn Buckner is going into season 20 in in their current role. So uh, you mentioned this being your dream job. So do you have a personal goal of surpassing their years of service when it's all said and done? And by the way, we did meet Quinn and, and, you know, for the Pacers, uh, for the Pacers fan jam and he was feisty. So I still think he's got some time left. Uh, so do you have any? What did he you know, say? Oh, he's feisty. I mean, he said a lot. Oh, he's feisty. He's yeah. very feisty. So, I mean, do you have any sort of goals surpassing their years of service with the team? <laughs> you know, not really. I, I kind of, uh, I do feel like it's a blessing to have this position. I'm probably, you know, smart enough to admit that I don't know that I'll be able to retire in this job. Although I'll probably keep it as long as they'll have me. So, um, haven't put any sort of goals on timeline or, uh, you know, years of service, but I'll say that I'm not actively on monster.com uh, or uh, LinkedIn updating the resume, trying to look for new opportunities. I'll, I'll keep this one as long as I can. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, last one here. We are going to pitch an idea to you and we want your thoughts and also the credit that goes with it. If it's a, success. <laughs> a pregame show interview featured on Pacers live. You or even us sit down with Quinn Buckner for an exclusive in-depth interview to figure out the origin of his catchphrase smothered chicken the people deserve yeah well this this might not be you're you're not the only person that's thought about this and i've i've kind of casually at times tried to to get with quinn and he's he's shut it down pretty quickly and i even have done it on the air as well and he kind of kind of says nope not not right now so i don't know i I think there's going to have to be a, a strong movement from the pacers fans or someone higher than me or you, you know, no disrespect, that to try to get that out of him. But if you if you get him on the podcast, I will be interested to hear what how he responds if you grill him about that. I hope we get him on for sure. How many smothered chickens will we get this year? We need a prediction from you. Well, just you just a little tease. I did a rapid fire segment with Quinn um, for the season preview show, and that actually was my last question. I gave him an over under of three and a half, and I was a little disappointed last year that we didn't have more smothered chickens than maybe we should have. So I think he's I think he's kind of hearing it. He's seen some of the tweets. Even though he doesn't tweet a lot, I think he does. He kind of sees what people are talking about. 
and he wants he wants to be he wants you to have to earn the smothered chicken, yeah, but I, I think like he realizes he didn't give enough to the people what they want. So um, we'll let you hear his answer to my question, but I'm going to say we may get to six this year. Ooh, ooh, I can't wait. That would be great. We might we we might replay those during the summer like a hundred times because they're so electric. <laughs> so, well, JJ, we appreciate you uh, coming on with us. Uh, we had a great time. Um, I just want you just remember if you need to slide in our DMs, you need a little interview pregame. We could probably make that happen. You're in the drop of a hat. Yeah, you just we're coming from Kokomo. You just give us about an hour and a half notice, and we'll be sprinting your way. All right. Well, you know, you need to reach out to uh, producer Ken Softman because he's already sent me the, you know, this shows how hard he's working. Earlier tonight, he sent Eddie Gill and I the entire rundown, rough draft, I should say, rundown of the one-hour opening night Pacers Live pregame. And it's, you know, we'll go back and forth a little bit and talk about, you know, maybe try this instead of that. But, he, you know, he's kind of the guy that makes the major decisions, and I wouldn't have the ability to have you on without his approval. So okay. um, he's had Ken Softman, and many remember him from uh, Football Friday Night. He used to do some of the uh, the crazy fan reporting from high school football stadiums. So uh, you might need to slide into those Ken Softman DMs and, okay. and see if you can't get your way onto the show. All right, we'll send him a bouquet of flowers and send him a box of chocolates, and hopefully we can uh, wiggle our way in. So... Uh, He's a big Patriots fan, and I, I almost oh. hate to let the world hear that, but uh, right. you, know, you could send him some Tom Brady Ugg slippers, and that'd be the way into his heart, I think. I love it. Okay, well, this is J.J. Jeremiah Johnson, TV host, sideline reporter for the Pacers on Fox Sports Indiana. J.J., we appreciate you coming on. Uh, hope to hear from you soon. All right, enjoyed it, and looking forward to the season, and uh, thanks to all the fans for all their support. All right, thanks, J.J. You know, ever since we started this podcast, people have been asking us for advice. Uh, Usually it's, you know, how many games will the Pacers win this season? Uh, The truth is, I don't know how many games they're going to win, but if you think you know, you got to go check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. I would only recommend a service to our listeners that's been good to us. So that's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Right now, MyBookie is slammed with new bettors and wants to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern Time, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code READY25 to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today, that's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, and don't forget to use the promo code READY25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. If you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., you can get an extra $25 free play by using our promo code READY25. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with the man himself, Jeremiah Johnson. What were some of your guys' biggest takeaways from talking with Jeremiah tonight? Very interesting guy. 
You know, I like that he's just a hometown boy from Indiana. You know, he grew up on beers at the Chug at Ball State, went to Fort Wayne for his first job, and now he's an Indy big time in it with the Pacers. I mean, he's done a little bit of everything an Indiana kid wants to do growing up loving basketball. So I love all of his opinions, and I, I love watching him on TV. It's a great interview. Great interview. I mean, I think I think we were clicking with him early and often. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor, made us laugh, we made him laugh, and I could definitely foresee – uh, situation in which you know we're doing some TV with them. I mean, we have face. I mean, this is what people don't understand. We have faces for TV. I mean, this is what we were made Need to, to be do. Seen. I mean, I, my voice is not a podcasting voice, but my face is a is made for the you know TV. It's a great so, face. Uh, it's a great face. So I think he's gonna uh, catch gonna on and it's gonna be great. Suits. Yeah, I got a pretty nice one. I'll just throw that out there. I haven't Stun worn a suit in years. I'm yeah. I got a suit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you wore a suit at your wedding, didn't you? That was a rented tux. Oh, okay. Does that Jeez. count? I mean, I could probably rent one. <laughs> we'll just rent tuxes. <laughs> this is titillating just conversation. Up. Just titillating. It is time for Around the Association, presented by the Born Ready to Pod podcast. All right. This week on the Around the Association segment, um, first up, we got the new shot clock rule. Did you guys hear about this? Did you see this? I think I read a little bit about it, but go for it. Explain to me. Okay, so on an offensive rebound, instead of 24-second reset, it goes to 14 seconds. Thoughts on that? Um, I don't know if that really drastically I don't, changes anything. It keeps the game moving. I don't like it to rule. I mean, I, I could foresee a situation like late in games where it could pop up as a problem. It could take some adjusting, too. Yeah. I mean... You know, I, I, I'm i for it. I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to speed it up. I mean, teams are going to be jacking threes up, yeah. you know. How often, though, when you get an offensive anyway. rebound, does it end up in, like, a putback within a couple of seconds? I think the only way it could really, like, upset me is if it's a late-game situation and the Pacers are up and we got the ball and we're trying to milk the clock, get an offensive rebound, and we lose 10 seconds there. I mean, yeah. but on the other side of the coin, if that happened to the Pacers, I'd be very happy. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. We play from behind a lot as Pacers. And know that we miss some layups. Yeah. You know, we, we miss some layups. Our fair share. <laughs> All right, so there we go. We got that topic discussed. Uh, next up, we got DeJounte Murray tearing his ACL. Probably the first major injury that's come out of the preseason. Um, also, Derek White will be taking over the starting point guard responsibilities. Wow. And uh, their, their rookie, Lonner, Lonnie Walker, tore his meniscus. He's out four to six weeks. So the, the Spurs are already in the shitter. First off, I think that's worse off for you because you drafted him on your fantasy basketball team did, the day before the news broke. Yeah, and uh, I just recently dropped him. So, you know. I got, I got a good point, though. Now we don't have to worry about how to actually say DeJounte Murray or DeJounte. Yeah. DeJounte? So, yeah, so. It's we need going to start to, doing some yeah. pronunciation research before we start. Just recording. have a whole segment of NBA yeah. pronunciation. We'll start with Antetokounmpo. I think that's how you say it. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. For the Spurs, though, it's obviously, you know, I can't really say it's going to be a big loss. He was pretty good last year, but it's not like he was. I think he was He was a guy that was looking to make that next step. Yeah. He's coming in, you know. You know what they should do? Minutes. They need to trade for Tony Parker. <laughs> <laughs> That's an idea. I mean, imagine if they would have kept him. Tony Parker would be starting for the Spurs this year again. He'd play in like 20 games, but... Well, how much did he get? $10 million a year? He got something pretty ridiculous. Yeah. All right, that's enough Spurs talk for that. <laughs> uh, the Suns fire their GM, Ryan McDonough. James Jones takes over, former Pacer. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? I don't know if he's officially taking over it's yet. The, he's the interim, and they yeah, plan and they, on... They, yeah, they want to give it to him... I, the Suns are just a shit of an organization. I mean, they fired their coach for like five games in the last year. I mean, this is like, and I feel like they make good moves. I don't even yeah. know why. Well, they I just think it. it's weird timing that you're a week 
in, before the regular season and you fire your GM. Um, I think they were more upset with him because they want a point guard and he just wasn't able to find them somebody, probably because teams were asking for too much. Yeah. And let's be realistic here. The Suns aren't going to make the playoffs this year in the West. Whoa, there's, breaking news. We're there's way out. too many better teams than them. Yeah, they have some good draft picks and some good young players. They're not going to make the playoffs, so I don't think pushing for a point guard this season is really that big of a deal, but I just thought it was kind of weird timing if, to fire your GM. Yeah, if you, and if you're going to make James Jones the GM, you got to do it while LeBron's a free agent because yeah. everyone knows how close they are. I mean... They dropped the ball there. I, you can't tell me that LeBron wasn't going to the Suns if James Jones is the GM. I mean, that's a, such a clear choice. People so. forget James Jones has made the most Eastern Conference Finals consecutively of any NBA player. Besides, It would be quite a feat if he did it this year. <laughs> and former Indiana Pacer played in the uh, brawl game that we've why don't the they, after brawl game that we've talked about so many times. Why don't they just call the Hornets and say, what do you want for Kimball Walker? Because they're trying to trade Kimball Walker. Not a bad idea. James right? Jones, if you, need, if you need any help. Just call the board If you're listening to this podcast, you know better than anyone that we all should be in the front office. So that's, I mean, that's what we would do. <laughs> all right, next up, we got Jill Embiid signing with Under Armour and Cousins to sign with Poopa. Puma. <laughs> Puma. We're not editing that out. We're not editing that out. Puma. <laughs> I think that's just my, you know, conscious speaking that I will never buy a pair of Puma shoes. <laughs> so I call them Poopa. Um,. I don't get big into shoe deals. Yeah, I don't. Good care. for them. They're getting. An, they announce shoe deals or these deals like nowadays, like uh, they're like free agent contracts. <laughs> like Woe just tweeted them out, and like all these other guys, and it's just like I don't care. I I don't. I couldn't. Name, if you gave me a list of the top, I don't know, twenty players in the NBA, I would struggle at telling you which belong to which shoe brand. I bet you. I bet you do better than you think, just because it's either like four people. <laughs> <laughs> well. Th- Big guys don't sell shoes. Like, J.O. had the shoe. I mean, I bought the shoe because I'm a weirdo. But, like, you know, at one point I'm like, you know, Shaq probably needs shoes back in the day. And it's like, well, you can buy Shaq shoes at Walmart if you need to. And it's like, dude, why do big guys not sell shoes? They're just not marketable, right? They're just not sexy. I mean, they're just not doing anything great on the court. They're just rebounding and, you know, layups. I mean, they're not jo- going to move shoes. Joel Embiid, I mean, for the 25 games he's on the court, I'm sure those shoes are going to look nice, though. Yeah. And, I mean, Shaq, how much success did Shaq have with his shoes? Because I don't think he... I think he probably did better than you think. Yeah. They probably made him for, like, I mean, they weren't, they weren't Starberries. <laughs> I mean, they weren't Starberries. I'd like to pull everybody and see how many people have actually owned a pair of star, Starberries. Yeah. Oh, me? I think we were three for three. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think I had... not have owned. I had Nick's colors. I had red and black. I what mean, was the, was the store that sold them? Dave and Barry's? No, Stephen Barry's. Stephen Barry's. Oh, my Stephen Barry's was awesome. I Those shirts went an last two weeks. an autograph session. I think it was when they were in Marion or wherever they were at. And uh, Marguerite was there signing in Indiana, and I went, and I got a pair of Starberry's signed. Ooh. I don't know where they're at now. <laughs> would be one hell of a giveaway. <laughs> yeah, we could make one. Somebody, somebody in China. Somebody in China because he's a big star oh, true. over there. The Sharks. All right, last up on the Around the Association. We just we talked about freaking Stephen Marbury on this thing. That, that, that's what happens on Around the Association. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. We got the infamous Jimmy Butler practice to discuss. I'll let you take this first. What about it? Set, set me up. Okay, so apparently he just walked into practice, and he just got on a team on a pickup squad, wasn't with the starters, played against the starters, apparently was dominating them, talking shit, yelling at the GM, saying, you effing need me, I am this team, stuff like that. And he went on... Uh, interview with Rachel Nichols, basically owned up to it, said, yeah, I did it. Like, I agree with everything I said. I should be able to speak my mind, which I respect a little bit. And 
but that all being said, and knowing that he just went on that tangent, would you still want him in a Pacers jersey? Oh, in a Pacers jersey? Would you want him in a Pacers jersey still? I Initially I did, but then I think about, so he burned the bridge in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now he got the coach he wanted in Minnesota. And yeah, I understand those young guys are, might be difficult to play with, but he's burning that bridge, and now he's got pretty much you know five or six guys that were his former teammates in Chicago. I don't know. I, I don't really agree with how he's been acting, and I don't think that he might – I don't think he would be good for the Pacers locker room. I'm not sure I'd want him on the Pacers just because I think Oladipo and those guys have the locker room pretty much set. But I absolutely love the move by Jimmy Butler. Tell us why. Because you, you walk into this locker room, and everyone's been talking about how he wants to leave, and he literally walked in after they had said that the practices weren't great. He walked in and just alpha dog every single one of those young guys. He walked in, he said, give me the crappiest players we got, and I'm going to shove this down your throat. And as it's happening, I'm going to look at the GM that employs all of you and says, you have to have me to win. That is the most alpha thing you could do. And then not only that, he also reminds everybody that you need me to win, and I don't want to be here. So you make the choice. I mean, you're probably... either, I mean, you're either going to keep me here, and I'm going to just pillage every single one of these guys every day in practice, or you can trade me, and then I'm going to make you pay. It's an alpha dog move, and I love it. So... Okay. I'm passionate about this. I like the move, too. There's only, like, 15 guys in the NBA that can do this. And just to see him just do it. And apparently, I, from all accounts now, all the deals, the trade deals will fall into. He's going to stay in Minnesota. So this should be exciting. It'll definitely be something. So what do you guys like think that. is – so he he says he's an honest guy. Mm-hmm. And he's opened up an honesty in that interview. He said the word honest. I think – I didn't count, but it was at least 10 times he said the word honest or honesty. What? He just said it 15. <laughs> what do you think – his mo- like, why do you think he is so dead set on leaving? Because he didn't say it was the players. He said it was because of honesty. That's all he said, but he wouldn't elaborate. So why do you think he is so dead set on wanting to get out of Minnesota if it's not necessarily the guys he's playing with, so he says? It sounds like he's a liar to me. Because, I mean, the only way it makes sense is he just sees these guys underperforming and he wants out. But now he realizes no one, he's not going to leave probably. So yeah. he wants to play. He's so competitive. I don't know. It's just. Really I think he skewed. wants to get paid because if he doesn't play, he doesn't get paid. Yeah. That's mostly the big key, and I think he might be upset because I think Towns and Wiggins both got like big money, and he hasn't got. He hasn't. They, they probably. I don't know if they can afford to pay him what he what wants. Was Wiggins deal. What did he? I'm not sure what it exactly was, but he got paid, and so did Towns, and I'm not sure yet. Like I said, I don't know how much he wants to make or if they can afford it, but I think maybe money's a big, big key. Would I don't you know. Want the Wiggins risk. If you were the Pacers, let's just say somehow they made a deal to get Wiggins. That's, that's not going to happen. But would you? Accept they trade Edmund Sumner straight up. Yeah, let's just say okay. somehow he's on the team in a week. Would you take that risk? Who am I trading? Let's see. I don't know. That's what you get. Let's say. Well, let's say you got to trade. You at least got to trade Sumner. Um, okay. And you probably, probably. Let's just say you got Domas and Sumner. That's it. No first round picks. No anything. I'm a big Domas guy. Yeah, same. I wouldn't do it for Domas. I wouldn't. I don't think I would either, honestly. But it, it, we don't need – I mean, you always could use athletic guards. But from everything that everyone's saying, and apparently now Jimmy Butler is screaming it at his GM's face in the middle of practice, like, Wiggins 
does not have the dog in him to go out and be what he was supposed to be. He does not have that in his DNA. And I'm starting to think maybe Cat doesn't have that because the rumors about Jimmy Butler kind of moving in Cat's personal life and taking things that are <laughs> very precious to him, like that is not, that's a beta move to let a guy do that. Then if that guy walked into my practice and you have the starters and he doesn't, and then he proceeds to beat your ever-loving butt yeah. for the next two hours. Like, I mean, we got to get into a fight. I at least got to push him. I got to shove him. I got to do something. Apparently, Jimmy Butler literally was letting Towns score against the scrubs and then would go up to him and was like, all right, I'm going to guard you for the next five plays. Let's see how many times you score. And Cat just kept passing out. Would you rather have Butler or Towns right now if you were going forward? Now? So if you had to pick one. I if I I w- I want to see it this year. Obviously, skill for skill, I'd go Towns. But I don't like these guys that do not have that personality. The go getter, I want the ball. I can stop anybody. Personality. I'm not saying Towns doesn't have it yet, but it sure seems like Jimmy Butler doesn't think he has that attitude. Yeah. So I mean, I'm the type of guy I want. I want that attitude. I want. I want the dogs. So right now, I will say Cat, and maybe like a week from now, I would say Butler. Well, as you can so see, I'm the, copying the out GMs here, but... are dropping off. Yeah, Carl Anthony Towns being a build-around player because I don't think he really had any votes in the guy you would build your team around. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something that these people are seeing, but he also averages what twenty plus. Points he's got some Chris Bosh to him, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he's he got that Chris Bosh. Yeah, he can shoot like Bosh. You know, he can get you to the playoffs. Maybe. I mean, he's never got to the playoffs without Butler, and we didn't pick him to make the playoffs this year. So yeah. obviously, maybe we don't believe in him. So I don't know. I think Butler, I think people would like to build around the skill set of Anthony Towns, but some guys you just can't build around because of their attitudes and just like how they are. I mean, he's up in the north, Minnesota. Sure, Jimmy Butler wants to go south and play in Miami. Who wouldn't? Let's be honest, none of those guys are going to be in Minnesota in like five years. Yeah, probably not. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good to me. I don't know the exact number on the deals, but eventually... You know, you'll have these guys are too big for Minnesota. They want to go out to yeah, LA. We'll Ser- draft Bronny James and LeBron will come there. S- serious question. Serious question. They have some very talented young guys. We have some very talented young guys. Would you trade our roster right now for their roster in the? But we get to play in the East. No. Straight up, just roster, roster change. Roster, roster. No, because you'd still have the problems of Jimmy Butler and Cat. Like, if you're, so you agree? Like, you? I mean, I'd rather be in a stable condition. Starting than five, there's more talent in the Minnesota uh, starting five. I'd feel like yeah. today, but you also have but the you headaches. Got two guys that hate each other. Yeah, <laughs> and the locker room issues, and we actually love to watch the Pacers team play. We love their attitudes. We love the locker room. Yeah, we're not trading any pace. No, I agree. I agree. But no, there's one ball, right? There's one ball. Is they got to coexist, I think. There's one ball. But then again, there's, you know, only one girl for Cat and Jimmy Butler got her too. So, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe they figure out Allegedly. a way to two balls. Allegedly. Right. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. 
New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.